0: Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening
1: to the Fantasy Joes Podcast. The
0: Fantasy Joes Podcast.
1: Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty.
0: And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. That's
2: right. We are the Fantasy Joes. Um, Joining us this evening, as always, we've got Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, and also a very special guest, the one and only Matt Waldman. As so many of our listeners already know, Matt Waldman is the staff staff writer for the Football Guys, can regularly be heard on the Audible podcast, and is the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, better known probably to most of us as the RSP. Now in its 13th year, the Fantasy Joes are so happy to welcome the sweet baritones of Matt Waldman to the show.
0: Matt, how are you this evening? i'm doing well guys thanks for having me on huh?
2: no we're we're thrilled to, to have you on and we've already been talking to you for a couple of minutes and i think one of the things that we were talking about was like even where to begin this discussion like to do an interview with matt waldman and talk about the rsp because this thing is unbelievable i i, I don't even know where to start so gosh i, I mean how long does it ta- i guess my first question is do you just are you starting next year's right now i mean you i mean how long does it take you
0: i should be i should be but i'm not um fortunately i've watched enough guys from um for the 2019 class just by accident because i thought they might make the 2018 class so i'm probably about 25 30 guys in already but this week you know last week this week and next week and really, actually, let's just be real. Until about mid-May, I'm not watching any prospects for next year. I'm, I'm generally watching guys for the post-draft, and I'm trying to get a sleep schedule, and I'm leaving three <laughs> double doors here to go, hey, Alicia, you know, I'm your husband, Matt. It's nice to meet you, you know, um, kind of thing. I'm in here a lot. But it, it usually takes, you know, about a year and a half, two years of film study if you put everybody together in terms of who I'm watching for classes. Um, and I'm and I'm generally watching somebody every day. So you know, I, I write for football guys, and that's a full time gig. So I, you know, I write for them, and it dovetails nicely because I, I I write for them during the summer. I'm watching NFL tape during the year, which informs my ability, you know, for evaluation practices that I use for the RSP. And you know, every day I'm usually watching at least one player a day. Sometimes I have time to do two. Um, except for, you know, probably Saturdays. And that's when I hang out with, with the family, either Friday nights or Saturdays and Sundays. I, you know, Sundays is watch as much NFL games as possible so that I can write my column on Mondays for, for, for football guys. So that's kind of my schedule through about December and then, you know, around you know, mid December, late December, then it's full RSP mode. And by then I usually have about a hundred players watched and, and multiple games and, and then, you know, I used to watch, I used to transcribe play by play. And I still do that. And you've seen that in my book, um, but I'm cutting back on that. And it's been 13 years. It's been a great process. It's helped me learn a lot, but now the returns are diminishing both for the, I think the reader and for myself to be able to do a little bit more in terms of learning. I could be going to coaching clinics. I could be doing more work on my um, Blackboard, which you can 't see out here, you know memorizing play concepts and things like that will help inform my knowledge of the game um, and also just you know being able to work out and get some sleep so that I can continue to do this for you know decades into the future as opposed to you know living a short life so you know it's you know that 's kind of what happens and it ramps up in january and and march and you know, this chair back here, I think in March, I was, my back was bothering me even though I have a nice little Herman Miller chair here. Um, and I literally just parked that thing in front of my desk right here with the, with the, uh, the, the recliner up and put the, the keyboard in my lap and just sat here probably for about a good, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 hours a day, um, writing the book, you know, and did that. And, you know, throughout <laughs> the end of February through March and, And the writing's the tough part because the research is just a little bit every day and maybe a little more than that. You know, I try and, sometimes I have late nights because I'm trying to make sure I get in that quota of players per day so that I don't have it rain down upon me, you know, after fantasy football season is over. Um, But then, you know, unfortunately you have the combine in late February, you, you have to use that data to kind of look at what you're doing and analyzing. And then by, you no know, matter how I do it, even if I have, you know, I had 150 players watched by before I went to the senior bowl. That was like the most I'd ever had watched in multiple games. And I felt really good about it all. Um, then the combine happens and you, you know, you have to make some adjustments with certain positions based on that and rewatch things. And it wasn't as bad, but then you got to, you know, still, you know, you, get, it, it, it can be difficult. And when it comes to writing, there's some things that I can do to make it a little bit easier in the future, but um, even so I'm still going to have to write, you know, 400 pages in a month. And, you know, most of my editors who are, you know, do, do this are decent, you know, our, our editors are writers in real life. And that, you know, I had one for a while who helped me set up with a bunch of people and he's an award-winning magazine writer. And I remember him saying to me, he, he contacted me and said, you know, Matt, he goes, when I first, I've been buying your book and I really like it for the information. And I looked at it and I thought, this guy actually can write. I actually think he might be a writer. Let me look him up and see what his work is outside of football and see if he actually, you know, cause I, I'm watching it and I think there's some really good lines in here and then there's stuff that looks like he's been writing this at four 30 in the morning and um, you know, it needs to be edited. <laughs> and he looked at my magazine work and he called me up and he said, that's why I'm offering what I'm doing. Cause I know you can write. And I know that this is, and I said, yeah, the RSP is my greatest pride. As an analysis piece and as just a workload piece, but as a writer, it's my greatest shame because it's probably my worst writing. So it's like it's funny how it's you know how it can have that kind of duality, but it takes a long time and it's a lot of commitment. Uh,
1: you know, and for, for what it's worth, uh, last night I was you uh, yeah I worked for a travel co- company here in Minneapolis and we had a little a little team dinner out here. Uh, some management visiting me, but I was I was in my lift my lift ride. I was like. We're talking about it and it it came out just in the casual conversation that this dude is a uh he scouts basically high school students you know going into college and and he's a coach and I was like huh and I it felt like uh you know without without trying to tune my own horn I was like you ever heard of the the RSP and Matt Waldman he was like yeah I've heard of Matt Waldman RSP I was like yeah he's gonna be on my fantasy football show tomorrow and it was a very short uh, lift I was like, you know, less than fifteen minutes, and it just one uh, made me feel super cool that you were coming on. And I think two is a great like. So some Lyft driver who is an uh, you know, uh, basically a high school scout here for high school teams, like basically from middle school to high school, knows who you are in Minneapolis. So I mean, I think that's like, well, I think it's just amazing that that that, that, that kind of all fell together. And two, just super, super pumped to have you on the show tonight, man. Really appreciate it.
0: Well, I appreciate it. And it's it's just weird. I mean, it's it obviously, you know, it feels good that people like your work and are excited to have you on. But it's also just kind of weird that, that that's the case because, you know, you think about what it would be in the abstract. And then like, you know, you do a podcast. My wife and I talked about this the other day because we did a podcast and then went out. I did a podcast and like a couple years ago and went out somewhere to eat, you know, where I live and we were, we were standing in line to get something to eat at this breakfast place that we go to. And these two guys who were about y'all's age were looking at us. And I'm sitting here thinking, they, do they think they know us? Or is it like, is this going to be some weird <laughs> thing that like, I'm going to, you know, this is not going to be comfortable. And they're like, are you Matt Waldman? And I felt like, and I and I hate to say it this way, but I felt like the guy, I felt like if you saw the movie Coming to America where Eddie Murphy comes out of the restroom at the Knicks, you know, you know, at the Knicks game and the way people were acting, it was just crazy. And it was really I mean, it was very flattering, but on the other hand, you're just kinda like going, This can't be right, you know. And so, you know, in the past few years it's been that way. I've had, you know, I tell a story on Audible that That I was with Cecil Lammy and we were at the senior bowl and John Elway walked in and and he knows John Elway. And I, you know, uh, we always joke around about the fact that I was a, grew up a Browns fan and and hated the Broncos and John Elway. And so I'm sitting there, you know, and John comes in with two guys and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go get some coffee, and maybe on the way I can sack John Elway for once. Somebody can. <laughs> and he laughed at the me.
1: Helicopter and took your coffee at the same time. Yeah,
0: right. And so I walked. So I walked over there in line to get behind them, and the two guys who were talking to John, they were in the middle. Of, John was in the middle of talking to them, and they just turned away from him, like just totally turned away from him and looked at me. And I looked worse than I do right now. And they, one of them was like, obviously looked like he played offensive line, and he was like are you that guy in the YouTube videos who does those film rooms, the RSP film rooms? <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, he's nudging his buddy. And he's like, yeah, he goes, my name's Lanzino. Lanzino was an offensive lineman for like the Browns and for the Packers and played in the, U- in the world league. And he was like, yeah, you know, I've learned so much from your videos. And, and then he like nudges his friend. He goes, Do you know? He goes, yeah, I, f- I follow his blog, you know? And John always standing behind them, looking at them, looking at me like, who the hell is this guy, you know, that, like, and I, and see, and I turned and looked at Cecil cause they wanted my info, you know, like contact info. And Cecil's just looking at me laughing, shaking his head. Like I cannot believe this. And I couldn't either. It was just things like that are happening a little more often and it's bizarre. And it's, so it's, um, it, it's just weird. And a lot of it, I owe it to just, you know, readers and and podcasters like you guys who are just like, who enjoy the work and promote the product and, and and talk about it and and I really appreciate that so thank you thank you man
3: I'm curious about your consumption do you I I know that the audience you know like us we're you know big time fantasy football dynasty fantasy football aficionados and we kind of basically the three of us are in several leagues together and kind of were brought together by um all starting out in like um Foot clan leagues from the fantasy footballers, and so we just kind of had the idea, of like, hey, we should start a podcast. We love talking football, and you know that's kind of where the the concept of the fantasy Joes came from. Like, you know, we're not a pro; we're we're just three guys that love fantasy football and and got heavy into dynasty and decided to do a podcast because it's so much fun. Do you feel like you have a pretty awesome grasp on who all what percentages of different groups are consuming your, um, the, the RSP, is it mostly dynasty fantasy football? I mean, are, are there, is there anyone in, you know, professional or, you know, NFL scouting circles that are consuming your product and kind of giving you feedback on them? I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to hear.
0: Yeah, Trey, it's funny. Cause, um, you know, one of my best friends, his name's Trey and he actually got me into fantasy football online cause I used to play in a league. <laughs> um, used to playing just a work league and we all would get together in the first year we we're in this work league I actually missed the draft I just forgot about it you know I mean yeah I mean this was like <laughs> and then you won the league that year right still in the league <laughs> like, I'm still in the league the next year I mean like I couldn't you know, I back at it and go, wow okay but um funny. but yeah I mean the first year I think it was 95 96 whenever I think it was 95 when I first did my first league but yeah I mean, I was just like you guys we were we'd sit around the office and we'd go we'd read these magazines, go, Ah, we could do this we could write a we could write these articles, we could do these rankings we could why don't we give this a try? why don't we do some of this? I think we could give quality information, and you know the r s p kind of started out you know I started writing for sites and all that, but to answer your question. Um, I think most people are, most of them are dynasty and redraft and, um, DFS guys who want to get an edge with, you know, with these positions and, and off the waiver wire, as well as, you know, for their rookie drafts. But yeah, back in 2011, I had an NFL person contact me with an extensive experience and say that that they've been reading my book since 2007. <laughs> And they wanted to let me know about it and that they thought that, you know, while my scouting wasn't, you know, they were like, look, there are a lot of, there are scouts better than you in the league. You know, I'm not trying to tell you that, but you know, I mean, you do, I get it. So I obviously like what you do, but your process is ahead of the curve. Um, And that's really what, that's how I got started in this because I felt like my process could be better um, than what the NFL was showing based on what X, You know, media types who came from the NFL did. So I've had that. I've had had somebody contact me from a college telling me recently from a major college at a SEC program, to be exact, tell me that they learned football by watching my film rooms and that they've gotten a job at the at the school, and that the school told them that for someone who hadn't played the game, they had they knew more about the game than anyone they had interviewed at that kind of experience level. And he was at the combine talking um, about something, and they they somehow the subject of the RSP came up at the combine with an AFC team, and the AFC team said. I was told and this was, and this I like to kind of brag about, cause it's, these are the highlight things that are fun where they literally said, Oh, if I'm, Oh, Matt Wallman, I'd like to give that guy a hug. Just watching what he does on on those shows. So I've had, so, wow. it's not, you know, by and large it's fantasy owners. Um, but I do have media, certainly plenty of media and more and more I have guys who are either scouts in scouting or, people who consult with the league um, or people in college football who have done some work, you know, and I was told by a college recruiting coordinator for a major college team that there are, you know, that there are a few draft guides that are consumed routinely and that, and that mine's one of them from scouts that NFL scouts come around and talk. And they said that, you know, that, that mine's one of them, which is really a compliment that I'm, you know, that's a highlight of my career.
3: That's awesome.
2: Let's, Matt, talk about the process, because I think that's what's one of the fascinating things about RSP. because you take us inside your process and how it's evolved over 13 years. And I appreciate that you go back and you talk about how you missed on somebody like Dak Prescott. You go into great detail on how you, um, you, you went back and, and, and you see, like, what happened here? Why, why didn't I have Dak Prescott hire? So, so I, I love that. And you talk about it. So, so how do you how do you go back and review the process each year? So, um, and and like how far back with with players? How long do you wait till you go back and you review a draft class to decide? Okay, um, it's been three four years. I missed on these guys. Let, let me go back and and see what I did. So, how how does that work for you? I mean, you talk about what the results are when you go back and review it, but like. How does that process work or is it different every time you do it?
0: Yeah, it's weird. It's going to be weird, the answer that I give you, like anything else probably. But um, but it's something where I actually find that the things that I need to update are things that I'm writing down in from basically June through April of that year that I'm keeping logged onto a spreadsheet or different notes as I go and say, this is something that I'm going to need to test out next year. This is something that I need to look at for the next, for the year after. These are, these are, you know, it's not always as much about players as it is a bunch about the process. Like i look at the player and go, okay, this player is going to exemplify to me whether or not, you know, there's some, you know, I'm usually watching someone and I go, okay, this is how I grade it because the RSPs everything has criteria that I'm grading and then I'm defining that criteria. And because I came from that operations management background where I learned these kind of best in class processes for doing that, the reason for you to define criteria is so that when you come across things that don't fit the definition, it forces you to question it and figure out a definition for it. And that's what's happened over the years is that I've redefined things where I go, wow, the way I discuss separation is so simplistic and there's like 8 million things that I need to break this down into to be more specific. I mean, even right now I can say it's more, it's still too simplistic. There's things that I'm like, I can look at and go, okay, I've learned about the, you know, there's probably about 10 different separation techniques that I'm not covering in the RSPs, you know, broad level checklist um, in the way that I'd like to. Maybe I should update that. But then it's about how many points should I assign? How much should that be worth? And then, you know, so I'm usually taking notes about that saying, I need to break down this criteria into three different categories, or I need to break this down into two more. And so, or I need to just keep an eye on that and see whether I do or not over the next year. And then when it comes to the players, usually I like to wait somewhere between three to five years because we often write guys off way too soon in fantasy football. You know, I mean, Spencer Ware would have been written off a long time ago, Um, you know, or Marvin Jones would have been written off until this year is just a guy, you, you know, and it's, and I know that there are so many factors outside of, just what they do on the field that matter, if team fit, whether they've been healthy, whether or not they, they're mature enough to be professional workers, whether their coaching staff is actually going to give them a chance and know what they have because if you're a late-round pick, they look at you as a camp body. I mean, the fact that Shannon Sharp was on, on a Fox show video talking about his brother on Siblings Day saying, I was a seventh-round draft pick. That meant I was a camp body. That's the same reason the guy who I liked a lot by the name of Cedric Pearson, Pier, Pierman who never really made it as an NFL running back, but ran like his, if you go to mockdraftable.com and he's the first highest percentage comparable to Saquon Barkley. I loved Cedric Pierman coming out of school, but he got cut by the Ravens cause they had Ray Rice and Willis McGahee. He got passed. Then he got passed around by two more teams before he landed with Cincinnati. And he was a terrific um, special teams player, but John John um, Jay Gruden had to use him for a short period of time when their starters went starter and contributor went down and he played pretty well and they were like we didn't know what we had in him and you're thinking how the heck did they not know what they had in them? It's because he was a camp body who they thought just offered special teams of skill. Not, you know they forget about the other things or they don't there's disconnects. So there's a lot of different factors there. I generally just keep notes I generally look at a player after four or five years and if it, and usually it's sooner than that, like usually like because I study the game NFL game every year and I'm watching every week, I'll see things and, and I'll take notes. And usually it's something like the, the hardest thing for me that I hate to see and when it happens. And I tried it not to is if I didn't see something clearly, like if it's like, if I describe the player and if I and we'll make it simplistic, like he's, you know, that you know, it's blue, green, yellow, and gray, and I find out that it's purple, pink, orange, and, you know, and chartreuse, I'm going to be mad and disappointed about that because I didn't see that player clearly. But if I were, it's another thing to look at it and go, I didn't project this strong enough. I didn't project the development strong enough. I'm okay with that. It may mean a difference in rankings, and I may have been wrong with it, But it didn't hurt my process, you know, and then it's so really it's more as I watch, I keep tweaking the process as I go. But I try to be cautious with it because I don't want to be changing every time the wind blows because, you know, if I did, then I might have there have been guys that, you know, I've been successful you know, talking about and rating and what I thought was important, that their traits just didn't come out because they didn't get the opportunity. But I was too, you know, impatient with it. And I wind up changing my entire process to, to you know, account for that one bad year or two years where you didn't get to see the, the lineup. So you have to be really, it's kind of like turning a big ship you you don't really want to try and do that suddenly um, or else the whole thing could capsize. So you, you know, you try and be cautious about it, even though you may start seeing things, you know, as the year goes on that make counter it or and make you want to take some notes and, and look into it more.
1: I, I remember Willis McGee—he was the first serious snapback knee injury I ever saw as, I mean, I'm, th- so I'm 31. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not that young, but, also that was the first one I saw and I was like ooh I want to watch that replay again. Uh, which maybe think, think think about it a little bit and going through your process as as you've gone about this and I think this year has been with the dynasty community and what we're doing and the way analytics has been involved and you have sites like like player profiler and pro football focus and like breakout ages become a thing and other other aspects of it what and I want what I'm getting at is I want to know what your opinion is about the the age of players when they're coming out, but also when you contrast that with their narrative from what they've been through in life. Because we 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 do a segment that's it's for fun because we we uh, you know we really love Calvin Ridley, but we do is he older than Calvin Ridley or not? And we you know we name players right, you know really young in the NFL or old in college and things like that. But like Sony Michelle is just like a couple months younger than Calvin Ridley and things like that. And I think if you look into their narratives they live tougher lives than we could ever imagine. imagined. Like at least for me, could have ever imagined growing up as, you know, like uh, Calvin Ridley's dad was deported when he was a child and nobody, and at least I feel like in a dynasty football podcast has ever experienced that in their entire time and can't really speak to what that means and what your development is. So I guess what I'm getting at is how much you're looking to narrative and how much you factor in age when it comes to like the RSP and how you're rating these guys.
0: Actually, neither on either end of the spectrum. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's not that looking at age can't be valuable, especially for a fantasy community. I mean, if you're in the fantasy community, you're really playing the odds most of the time, you know, and so, you know, I understand why sites that focus on, you know, a high degree of analytics where they're trying to correlate certain things that even though the sample size may be very tough for a rigorous statistician to say that's, you know, that's worthwhile to really look at. um, At the same time, if you can look at information and say, look, you know, odds are against you if you get someone who's great, you know, this high up the food chain in terms of age, you know, the odds are against them. Well, if you're trying to get safe picks, then, that's, that's, and you're a conservative drafter who's looking at, you know, trying to make safe picks. I get it. That makes total sense. Now, if you're someone that understands, look, everyone, the herd is going to go after this particular way of doing things, um, then I'm going to look for the exceptions to the rule so that I can take calculated gambles against what the herd mentality is doing. Then you may, then you're going to go against some of those things. Um, and that level. For me, I don't factor it because age doesn't factor into what I see on the field. And narrative, well, while it may, <laughs> maybe age or narrative may, I can't really prove that based on what I see. They're interesting and they're fun to talk about and maybe add some color to what I think about a player, but it's not going to change how I grade them.
3: That's interesting to hear you talk about that. You know, talk about your process and staying true to that process. And I thought it was really interesting, you know, when you when you wrote about um, Nick Chubb in your RSP and you shared the story about your time in Athens. And, you know, I, I thought that was super. I'm a huge college football fan and, and you know, grew up uh, pulling for an SEC team not the Georgia Bulldogs. So I, I, I thought that, I thought that story was, was pretty, pretty uh, incredible. I, I, you know, you mentioned Matt, the the patience and the, really the lack thereof in the dynasty community. Um, I see it across quite a few of my leagues and um, to be honest, I've even been guilty of it myself. So I'm curious if there are any guys that kind of stand out to you over the past couple of years from 2016 or 2017 draft classes who you were high on, or I should say your process, you know, identified as someone that was uh, identified as a a great talent that hasn't panned out yet, that hasn't produced. Maybe it's been because of injury. Maybe it's been because of a lack of opportunity. Maybe it's just, you know, puzzling as to why it um, hasn't quite transpired to NFL production, but someone that you, would say, you know, this is someone I would recommend buying. This is someone I still believe in. I still think, you know, maybe maybe they don't break out in a major way in 2018, but but who are some guys that, that come to your mind when you think about that, that, that guys could look at buying?
0: I think, sure. I think Austin Hooper is probably on that list for me, the Atlanta Falcons tight end, because while he's not a super athlete, he's a guy who really is... The Falcons have not taken advantage of his strengths, and I think that we saw that this kind of the difficult transition that the offensive coordinator Sarkeesian had in Atlanta with what he was going to do, and there was so much pre-camp talk about Hooper putting in extra work, and this was going to be his year, and he and he and Ryan putting things together, and he had a couple of he had a tough drop in the Miami game that could have been the game winner that a lot of people talk about, but. You know, those are the types of things that usually are experiences that make you better if you continue to go to the well with the guy. And they don't really go to the well with him, and they needed a red zone threat. And I think that if Ryan can get a little bit more comfortable letting Hooper win the ball above the rim, that's where his talent is really strong. So I'm actually interested in him. I think he's someone that I would consider a buy. Um, You know, down the line... Um, another guy, I I wouldn't necessarily. If I'm in a deep league, I might not give up on Tajay Sharp just yet. Just kind of as a low level, like let's see what happens. You know, buy him after the draft as a waiver wire freebie. You know, in your first waiver wire run, see what happens in camp. He's been working out, and I think that you know he's a player that's kind of on a mission to try and show that you know that his one year camp wonder thing was better than than what it was. Um, I even think. You know, there's you know, I'm trying to think of some other guys that come off the bat. Let me look at a couple others real quick as we do this.
1: And I can chime I can chime in slightly, uh so Austin Hooper, is he older or younger than Calvin Calvin Ridley?
0: That's a good question. I don't know.
1: We gotta is guess he? though. It's part of the game.
0: Is he I would say that he's younger than Calvin Ridley.
1: So Austin Hooper was born November fourth, nineteen ninety-four. So he is slightly uh, he's slightly under two months older than Calvin Ridley just 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 slightly so how about how about Tajay Sharp
0: Tajay Sharp I think he's I think he's a little older so
1: he's three days younger
0: than Calvin Ridley <laughs> See, there you go you can see as proof that I have no idea <laughs> about age with these it's, guys. It's, i it's not
1: saying it ever matters, but I do think it's kind of a fun game when you, you're trying to guess players' ages. That just really, when you look at like uh, when you're looking at value and how people are progressing and what they're doing, it just sometimes you just don't know.
0: Yeah, and and other guys that I would, you know, Amir Abdullah. If Amir Abdullah gets a second chance somewhere else, if the Lions trade him, I've always been a big fan of his game. Um, the fumbles were an issue early on, but then you get coaching staff changes, and then they decide that they're going to go with somebody else. Someone's not their guy, but man, imagine him in New England. Uh, you know, he could he could make James White obsolete in a heartbeat. You know, TJ Yeldon is a guy that really started to show up last year, um, and they said that it was a maturity thing that they were that they had questions about with him, or you know, and it's why they led the Godre um, draft another back. But you could see what he was able to do down the stretch. I mean, he's still a very good player, very accomplished guy. Leontay Carew isn't someone I'd recommend buying, but I liked him. I liked his route running. And, you know, I remember even just hearing some comments, you know, about Richard Sherman playing with him and saying that, you know, Richard Sherman had some nice things to say about him early on. And I just think that he may be mismatched with a team that was in transition Um, so he's a guy that I like, I'd also say, you know, maybe later around Malcolm Brown, the, the Rams, um, running back, he continues to show good things. If he gets a second chance somewhere to, to kind of be a, um, a committee guy, he might be, he might be a fun look at. So, I mean, so those are some kind of cheaper lower end guys. I keep an eye on Mike Davis still heads the list to me. I mean, look, they re-signed him in Seattle. And yeah. I thought Mike Davis. I've talked about this for a few years, but good, you know, good Mike Davis, healthy Mike Davis, yeah. like a, a you know first or second day pick, you know.
3: Yeah. I remember watching him at South Carolina because he kind of spurned Florida to go to South Carolina, and um, so I, I remember seeing him from from back in the college days, and he was quite a uh, running back there for the for the Gamecocks and, and then never really came up. So I, I, I found that interesting too. Actually, I was just talking about him in a a trade discussion and I have him on a salary cap league and the, you know, this guy was, was trying to hit me up for him and I'm like, I started looking at some news clippings and saw the, you know, that the Seahawks had retained him. So what about Laquan Treadwell? He's a guy that I know you have. I mean, I think that he, is like not, uh, really high, if if I remember correctly. Oh, as he was far my number one guy. Number one. So do you do you feel like I know that Minnesota? You know, the, there's a lot going on there. Well, I'm curious your thoughts on 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 Treadwell. Yeah,
0: my, my thoughts on Treadwell haven't changed. Um, I feel like what happened is that he came in as the number one pick. He inherited Norv Turner. Norv Turner is very well known for being a stickler that he wants all his guys to run the full route tree, and he doesn't like rookie receivers all that much. And if he does, he wants them to be able to show that accomplished skill to be that technician in every level. Treadwell was still not completely healed from the devastating injury that he had from two years prior and was still a little bit slower than he needed to be. He was a little slow to pick up the system. When he finally started to make some progress, Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. So Bridgewater goes down like just before the season starts. Right. So then they bring in Sam Bradford to bring in Sam Bradford and have him play meant that they had to revamp the offense. And as we saw North Turner was like, I'm not willing to do that. And instead of do that and compromise and, or be dysfunctional, I'm just going to go ahead and quit, you know, and (laughs) that's fine. If that's what he wanted to do, I'm not going to
1: the passes.
0: Yeah, but he but he just said, forget it, you know, I, I'm not doing it. So Laquan Treadwell was struggling to get up the speed as a rookie, and then everything changed right before the beginning of the season. He's never going to get a shot, you know, to really do his thing. And then, of course, Adam Thielen breaks out and plays well. Stefan Diggs breaks out and plays well. Um, mm-hmm. You have all that. And the offensive line gets better, they make some changes in that team so that they can be more of a run-based attack in certain levels that they like to do. Treadwell has more to prove. Um, he get He's going to be second in the pecking in order for sure, or, you know, behind Thielen at this point. When they put him in the game, he had some moments that I thought were pretty nice and displayed what Treadwell could do. But, you, you know, you, you have to wait out your opportunities at this point. And even though you were the first-round pick – when you get an undrafted free agent who plays like an all pro now you're now the roles are reversed. He might as well have been the undrafted free agent struggling to work his way up to get an opportunity. And, and that role has been reversed. So you got to look at him now, instead of as a first round pick in fantasy, you got to say, he's a talented UDFA in terms of status. And you're just going to have to bide your time and be patient and know that you're either not getting any return on investment when you try to get rid of him. Um, or you just have to be patient and know that you only have so many patience plays on your roster, or you're going to clog them up with guys who aren't going to play.
1: And I think that's a little bit of the narrative of Laquan Treadle. I remember watching his devastating injury. That was, I mean, it was against Auburn. He got tackled by the Jersey and rolled over on his ankle. And it just was, what well, it started to look horrible at the beginning. It looked worse by the end of it. And, it, uh, and he, had, he had a daughter coming out of college he, came, he still came out early. I think he had a year left of eligibility when he came out. I remember being pretty stoked that the Vikings took him. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't develop as fast as, because, you know, again, I live in Minneapolis. You know, it's all this. I think I was just moved here at the time. Maybe he was still in Seattle, but I'm very interested in what they were doing. And I was very excited for what he could do. But you just, you just can't, you have to be ready for the wide receiver classes. It's It's not 2014 all over again. And it will never be 2014 all over again. And it's, it's a is a dynasty fantasy player. That's been a really hard hard lesson to learn as far as excitement goes. Uh, and I, I do think I do think Le'quan is a little bit better in the depth chart at the, on the Vikings. And even as a Vikings fan, his his brightness of future might be other places. You know, it might he might need to go because I would be shocked if they signed him for that fifth year extension. What the price of that would be. And hopefully he can go somewhere and he's, just, he's successful. Because I like the guy. I like his story. I like who he's been. He's never been like a knucklehead. He's at least what, you, what you've heard, you know, and he's always been a uh, hard worker. And so hopefully, hopefully he has a brightness, uh, you know, a, a really bright future. But as far as Vikings goes, it kind of made me really sad once he started to, to flounder. And then yeah. uh, I don't know, the feeling the story yeah. is like the opposite of that, you know, like an undrafted guy who worked his way up and now is like a stud. And it's it's like super high in in dynasty fantasy drafts and things like that.
0: The Thing is, you just got to learn where you're going to take your chances and where you're going to play the odds. And, you know, when you look at these players, you got to understand that, you know, whatever the circumstances are that they came up. And this is a performance industry. And when you think about performance industries um, if you've ever been on stage, you've ever played in a concert, you've ever recited anything in front of a class, whatever it is that's performance-oriented, the, the pressure that comes with actually being on stage when it's for real um, as opposed to just rehearsing, you know, is very different. And if, when you make mistakes on that stage, it can be very jarring to one's confidence, especially as when you're a guy in your early 20s and you're still maturing. Um, so a lot of these guys, you know, you, if you're going to be super conservative, you'd say, well, if they haven't hit within the first three years, I'm not really bothering with them. And that's probably the safe, right way to go. And that whole odds thing I compete in, I've competed in so many leagues over the years against people who have that mentality that it was like, why am I playing anymore? Because I'm, you know, I'm all this is, I, I need to like, if I'm going to beat these people, I want to beat these people like big time. I'd rather lose big and win big rather than just like, okay, here we go again. I'm going to eke into the playoffs and be seven and six or eight and five. And, you know, hopefully get everything dealt together. And if I like grind my way through 8 million trades and there are people who do that, and love that, but I'm kind of more of the, look, I've been there, done that. That's cool. But, and I'll give you advice along those lines to do that yourself but I want to win big. Like I want to go like 12 and one. I want to go, you know, or, uh, you know, I want to like have such a good draft and early free agent waiver wire period that my backups could beat your starters. Like that's where (laughs) I want to be with my teams. And when I have good years, that happens when I have bad years, I'm limping into the playoffs or I'm not making it at all. And I'm okay with failing big now because it's like, I know that, I play against guys who get my book. I play against people who, like, are waiting for my post-draft. I have no shot in hell of being able to get, you know, the picks where I want to get them. So it's like if I'm going to play, I'm going to have to be bold and I'm going to have to take chances. And that means subscribing to some of these narratives and taking my shots on guys who are longer shots who that – you know, somebody who might be in the analytics crowd in terms of just purely numbers and age and market share and all that might look at my stuff and get on Twitter and go, Oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, he's an idiot, you know, and do the whole Hannity thing that, you know, sometimes that's being done. Well, I remember, and, I remember taking a rookie
1: draft last year, taking Mike Williams over Dalvin Cook. And oof, even as a Minnesota fan and being here, I was like, ah, I should probably take, should take Mike Williams because it's the right choice. And I, 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 I might be my most regrettable rookie pick of all time.
0: But that's, you know, I mean, we all make mistakes that way. But it's, it's the thing is that is you just kind of got to know your style and calculate what your style is, you know. And my style is like, going to go big or go home. I was trying to go non-homer
1: <laughs> and you know, trying to do something different. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, I get that. He only played three games this year, and his projections are through the roof. But would I would have preferred to have those three games – Versus, versus Mike Williams at this point. There you go. Hopefully, I mean, I wish Mike Williams the best career and that he, he explodes into the scene and like, you know.
3: Sure. Well, real quick, your question. Is uh, Laquan Treadwell older or younger than Calvin Ridley? <laughs> After two years in the He's NFL. He's younger.
1: He was on the original list. Yeah.
3: Seven months younger.
1: See, there you go. It's, it's, I love the older-younger game with somebody who's 22. super old. But the thing that gets me Calvin Ridley is his true junior. He didn't redshirt he didn't like take a year off in college. He didn't transfer schools. His literal life circumstance put him into college at his age. He couldn't do anything about it. Like he literally can't be a younger rookie than what he was based on the way he was brought up. And that's not, I don't blame that on him. And that's what, that's what kills me with Calvin Ridley. Like, if he's so good and good at everything he does, he he had a different life than what other players lived. He didn't go to a prep school the same way that some other, somebody else did. He had football taken away from it at some point with that article you shared, Ryan, with me, like, it's, it's intense. It's an intense lifestyle that he's lived. And I honestly love his life story and where he's been through. And I think if he isn't going to be like, let's say he doesn't start the first game, even as a first round pick, he's, I think he's going to be one of the most okay players with that as a first one wide receiver pick by far.
2: I, I've got a, I have a question going back to uh, potential uh, breakout guys. And I don't necessarily think this, I've kind of written this guy off, but today the Chicago Bears decided not to retain Cameron Meredith, so he's going to the New Orleans Saints. So all of a sudden, there's a guy on the Bears roster named Kevin White who has – cannot stay healthy, cannot <laughs> stay in the field. And I've really given up. I'm a Bears fan. I've really given up on Kevin White. But what about taking a shot on him? Because there potentially an opportunity this year. Um, you don't have a lot of depth. You know, right now, probably looking at the Bears' depth chart, and maybe he's a starter. You know, you've got Alan Robinson, and you've got Taylor Gabriel, and then – kevin white right so what do you think about kevin white matt
0: yeah i think it's about cost value and return on investment when you look at the situation and you say well we don't if if the the decision is presented to you today before the draft you'd say yeah why not because you're probably going to get him at a cheap price and and if he fails well it didn't cost you anything really all that much so and he's got high-end talent physically you know, you can catch the ball well, too. Some of the things they said is that they needed to get his confidence up a little bit, which is, again, being young and not having a, a good start to your career when you're expecting big things. So there was probably that involved. The injury factor, is he going to stay healthy? You know, there's things that are against him that drive down his value. But once you get to that point where you start going, okay, the injury, the slow the slow development curve, then the confidence issues are, have driven down his value, then you're like – Why are you going to continue to exacerbate it and say, well, I can get them off the waiver wire or I can get them as a seventh round or sixth or fifth round pick in in exchange in a trade am I really going to continue to beat him down to the point where I say it's not even worth that to take him? No, you take him, you know, you take him and say, what's a fifth round pick to me. Look back at all your fifth round picks in the history of drafting in your dynasty leagues. And you'll probably come up with like two names unless you're just super drafter, you know, and, and who are, who are worthwhile that you kept on your roster. So yeah, I would totally be good with that. I'd totally be good with the, the, the saints getting Cameron Meredith. That's a really nice get for them and you know you've got you've got two possibilities there from that that change over in that roster that you feel pretty good about.
2: So this is just part 1 of our conversation with Matt Waldman. We were about an hour into our conversation and then we realized, oh, hey, we haven't talked about rookies yet. So we're going to come back at you late Sunday, early Monday with another podcast part 2 with Matt Waldman. So join us then. Uh, but thank you for listening to this episode of the fantasy joes you can contact us directly at the at gmail.com or at ffjoes on twitter your feedback is always welcome let us know how we're doing and what you want from us we come at you weekly on fridays and this week also late sunday early monday with new episodes but be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave us a review but only if it's a positive one please you can find us on twitter trey is at trey barrett will is at fantasy joe underscore will And I'm at Roto-Librarian. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes.